Joshua 20 through 22. You ready to pray with me? Let's see if when I start praying, the alarm doesn't go off. (coughs) It's at those beautiful, intimate moments where those, you know. Well, let's pray in the really beautiful quiet. Lord, thank you for your word. And that we can study it together and know you better and love you more. Thank you for how you're leading us and teaching us and changing us. Thank you for what you're going to do tonight, for the group that you've ordained for tonight, beyond fire alarms and all the other things. Thank you, Lord. And Jesus, please be glorified now. Be our refuge. Help us to understand. Please make this a beautiful memory. In Jesus' name. Amen. In your name. Chapters 15 through 19, the land has been distributed. Two and a half tribes on the east, two and a half tribes on the west. And then they had to call the other seven over so they could get sequestered and get their land. Chapters 20 through 22, now we deal with what happens as we prepare for Joshua's final uh, declaration, if you will. The last two chapters, which God willing will happen next week, which means that next week we'll finish the book of Joshua, if it happens like that is that Joshua basically puts an, a challenge out to everyone about their behavior. He kind of knows, like Moses, he's passing off the scene. As he knows he's passing off the scene, he really wants to make clear that people are going to do it right. That's kind of the way that works. But in these chapters now, we have to start to deal with the Levites. Remember, the Levites were the ones who weren't going to get the property. They were the ones who were granted property, but they weren't allowed to own it. They weren't given a particular series of an area like these others. As we see here, the land being divvied up by tribe. Notice, by the way, again, the Levites aren't going to get their own section or area. They're going to be dispersed, which, by the way, is in fulfillment of prophecy. So we'll jump right in. It says in chapter 20, verse 1, The Lord also spoke to Joshua, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and appoint for yourself cities of refuge, of which I spoke to you through Moses, that the slayer who kills a person accidentally or unintentionally may flee there and that they may be your refuge from the avenger of blood. And when he flees to one of those cities and stands at the entrance of the gate of the city and declares his case to the hearing of the elders of that city, then they may take him into that city as one of them and and give him a place that he may dwell among them. Then if the avenger of blood pursues him, they shall not deliver the slayer into his hand because he struck his neighbor unintentionally. He did not hate him beforehand. And he shall dwell in that city until he stands before the congregation for judgment and until the death of the one who was the high priest in those days. Then the slayer may return and come to his own city and his own house, to the city from which he fled. In the beginning of this, God makes really clear, of course, in our first six verses, that this is a precedent he already started way before Joshua, back in the days of Moses. We kind of go back behind that. Let's get the theme and heart of it and move into these kind of key points. First of all, when does God actually tell us that murder is wrong as a law? Well, you'd say, well, I could go back and I'd say, well, isn't that in the Ten Commandments? And people will say, thou shalt not kill. And it doesn't say thou shalt not kill. What it says is thou shalt not murder. It's a very different thing. Because if you don't kill, you don't eat. It doesn't matter what you eat. You have to kill something to eat it. Whether that's an asparagus or an apple or whether that's a cow. In the end of it all, you're killing something to eat. 
But he does make sure that murder makes clear that murder, on the other hand, is wrong. Well, I'll tell you how far he gets to that. All you have to get is to Genesis 9. At the end of the flood, now that as God is starting everything all over again, he says this in Genesis 9, 6. He says that whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God he made man. And that's the point. Understand God not only speaks of the sanctity of life, but he also actually enacts capital punishment. And you'd say, well, if God holds life sacred, why would God then have a man killed? Because he values life so much that a man who kills, well, he's doing something preventative. That if a man that kills other people isn't ultimately dealt with with a, song, with a strong hand, he'll go out and kill again. And our news is full of those examples. One thing's for sure, if you knew that if you killed somebody intentionally, that you would be killed. Well, first of all, you wouldn't be able to do it twice. Second of all, it would prevent whole bunches of other people from doing the same thing. Well, God makes that clear all the way in Genesis. So then when he gets to Exodus 20, verse 13, when he says, you shall not murder, or Deuteronomy, when he reiterates it, in Deuteronomy 5:17, you shall not murder, he's just reinforcing that. But it is important to note, there were no police. Very different from the world we live in. So if you killed somebody intentionally, someone from that family had the right, or that city had the right then, to come and kill you. Now, thus the term here, avenger. In these days, an avenger wasn't a good thing if you were the murderer, of course. But what happens if it's accidental? And that's exactly what he speaks about here in this situation. Now, before I even get into this whole city of refuge thing, it's important to note who we're speaking about. We're speaking about the Levites. Now, let me make this really clear. You're aware that this man Jacob, who's also called Israel, had 12 sons. Of the 12 sons he had, his oldest tries to take his dad's uh, leadership, if you will. He tries to sleep with one of his dad's concubines, which in essence grants him the right to take over his dad. So his dad says, you will not get the right of the firstborn. But the next two then, that guy's name is Reuben, the next two then are Simeon and Levi. Simeon and Levi, what happens is they move to an area called Shechem. Don't, remember, don't forget that name, Shechem. Shechem. It means to burden or to shoulder or a shoulder. And when they go there, their sister named Dinah pops into town, becomes friends with the people, and ultimately gets raped by the prince. Rough story, Genesis 34. The brothers now... The guy's like, but I want to marry her. But he had already slept with her. And the brothers come up with this plan. Well, I'll tell you what. Have all of your guys in the city get circumcised. If you get circumcised, we'll let you marry a sister. So the guys, I mean, this is the prince, so the prince can tell everyone what he wants to do. So he tells everyone, and all the guys get circumcised in Shechem. <coughs> and while all the guys are in a bad way, these two guys, Simeon and Levi, come into town and kill them. And they kill the whole town. Now you can imagine... Dad's not real happy about that. Remember, Dad is so upset about it that what's going to happen is, is he's going to refuse them the right of the firstborn as well. He's already, dis, he's already, if you will, disqualified the oldest son. So these were the next guys in running. So when Dad's handing out blessings at the end of his life, that's in Genesis 49. This is what he says. And I find this interesting. I, I remind you, Dad's about to die. And this is Simeon and Levi, which are now the great, 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 grandfather of the guys now in their tribes and he says this simeon and levi are brothers 
Instruments of cruelty are their dwelling place. Let not my soul enter their council. Let not my honor be united to their assembly. For in their anger they slew a man, and in their self-will they hamstrung an ox. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob, and I will scatter them in Israel. (coughs) Excuse me. What Jacob says, Israel says, is you guys are going to be divided and scattered. Which is interesting. Because if you notice, by the way, Simeon, and if we can go to one of the other ones, do we have another one that actually just shows where the tribes are divvied up? Nope, that's just the Levite family. There we go. Notice, by the way, where is Simeon? Simeon, if you remember, didn't get his own land, so he winds up getting land dispersed within Judah. But what about the Levites? Well, the Levites are going to get 48 properties, and they're all going to be scattered throughout all of Israel. Could they have ever really known that? Well, interesting. Why in the world do they get this land in the first place? How did they become priests if these were the people that did all of this? Well, interesting, in Exodus 32, and perhaps you're familiar with the story, when Moses goes up on the mountain, he's getting the Ten Commandments, down at the bottom is Aaron, and the people say, we don't know what happened to your brother, We're obviously he's probably dead by this point, so make us a golden calf so we can worship, but we want a gold cow. And Aaron, of course, makes when he forms it and shapes it, the people bow down to worship it, Moses comes down, now, uh-oh, we're in trouble, guess what, your, your brother actually, your little brother actually is still alive. And, of course, he gets really angry. At which point, then, he wants to murder. Or I shouldn't say murder. He wants, so you know, I can't use that word. He wants to bring vengeance on the people who did this. Is it a righteous killing according to God? Yes. But he draws a line in the sand, and he says, everyone who's going to take a stand for the living God and not worship that cow, come and stand with me. And the only people that do as a tribe are the tribe of Levi, which, by the way, Moses was from. Which means his brother has to stand on that side, too. Even though his brother was the one who made the cow. And as a result of that, God honors them. And he says, I'll tell you what, because of that, I'm going to make you my priestly tribe. So the same guys that were horrible and cruel and mean become priests. I actually think that there's great comfort for me because I was a person that was really violent. And what God has done in my life is nothing short of a miracle. So to make me a priest is a radical thing. Now, with that in mind, (coughs) as God starts telling them in advance in the book of Numbers, hey, you're going to go and take this land. In Numbers 35, he says, when you do, in verse 6, appoint cities that you will give to the Levites, six cities you shall appoint for refuge, to which a manslayer may may flee, and to these you shall add 42 cities. Six for refuge, 42 to live in beyond that. So six plus 42 is 48. 48 total cities. Of the 48 total cities, six of them are going to be a place where a guy that didn't kill, he killed someone, that's not in question. It's whether he did it intentionally. And he even gives some examples, like a guy swinging an axe, he's chopping down a tree, and the axe kind of slips off, the axe head slips off the stick, and it kills a guy. He wasn't trying to kill him. He wasn't playing axe murder. He was trying to cut down a tree. The poor guy got a bad axe. And as a result of that, the other guy got a bad deal. He's like, well, what happened? So that guy died. The avenger from his family, usually the oldest brother, you know, um, usually tries to come up to avenge. Well, you have to go plead your case. Well, what happens? Do you, who do you plead your case with when the guy just shows up at your house and wants to kill you? So what do you do? 
to drop the axe and you run and you run and you run to one of these six cities. Because these six cities are a place where you go. And I think about it. In essence, these are six cities where you go and you, in essence, you didn't get away with murder. You go there. Everyone's there has killed someone that isn't a Levite. And they can go there and flee and be safe. Does that make sense? This refuge is for someone who is guilty, but guilty by accident. And then it's interesting because at least 15 different verses in Scripture point us out to who is, not just what is, but who is our refuge. The same term is used. The Lord is also our refuge to the oppressed, a refuge in times of trouble. The Lord is our strength. He's our saving grace. It tells us God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in a time of need or time of trouble. The God of Jacob is our refuge. My refuge is in God. So I refuge in my fortress. And that's just a handful of them straight out of the book of Psalms. It tells us in Hebrews chapter 6 that God has these two mutable things. He's unable to lie. And by that, by the way, it's impossible for God to lie. We have strong consolation and fled for refuge to lay hope of the hope set before us. Well, how did that happen? Because Jesus is our refuge, even as we say. So here's the deal. <coughs> I remind you what got Levi in trouble in the first place that made them scattered. They went and they killed a bunch of people. Do you remember the name of the city? Shechem. Right? Okay. Verse 7, now we have the name of the six cities. Kadesh, which means holy place in Galilee, in the mountains of Naphtali. Shechem, did you notice? The very city they took on now, the Levites inherit as one of the cities of refuge. A place where they had murdered now becomes a place where an, an innocent, if you will, a, a manslaughter may go and find refuge. In the mountains of Ephraim. In Kiriathaba, which is in Hebron, in the mountains of Judah. What do all of these three things, these places have in common? They're all in the mountains. Beautiful. Because it's a place of safety. And it says, now on the other side of the Jordan, and I remind you, Moses demanded that if they two and a half tribes were going to stay east of the Jordan, that didn't mean that they could, they weren't responsible. They still had to hold up to their responsibility of, thro of throwing in three cities of refuge, because they're still Jewish, and to offer cities for the Levites to live in as well. Of the 42. So it says, on the other side of the Jordan, in Jericho eastward, they assigned Bezer from the wilderness and the plain, the tribe of Reuben, Ramot in Gilead from the tribe of Gad, and Golan in Bashan from the tribe of Manasseh. Now these were the cities appointed for the children of Israel, for the stranger to dwell in among them, for whoever killed a person accidentally might flee there, and not die at the hand of the avenger of blood until he stood before the congregation. Our whole first chapter of the three that we look at tonight is simply about this. Is there a place you can run if you are innocent? Well, if you're guilty, but you didn't really know it. You didn't do it intentionally. You ever wonder why Jesus says from the cross, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. By saying that, he openly declares that though we're guilty of Jesus' death, it wasn't our primary intention. And as a result of that, we could flee to him for refuge. The most amazing part about it isn't just that, but you stay there until the high priest dies. So what happens when Jesus is our high priest? Well, here's the strange part. As long as the high priest lives, you have to live there because you're safe in refuge. But the moment the high priest dies, you're able to go anywhere and be safe <coughs> without the protection of that refuge. Jesus, because he died and lived forevermore, we get both. 
you think about it. We get to go wherever we go, but live safe in the refuge and protection of our refuge. That's the best part about it. We get both. Now, this place was so important that traditionally, by the way, there could not be anywhere you lived in Israel could not be farther than this is to where I live in, in, in uh, New Barnet, 10, 11 miles. It had to be within a day's journey. You could see that it was so important that the most paved roads of all of the roads in Israel had to be these, the ones that led. Every paved road, in essence, that was well-maintained led you to a, a place of, of refuge. Not only that, it was the most marked of all of your routes, too. At every crossroad, there had to be two signs for the nearest refuge. So you never could get that lost because the last thing they want to do is see an innocent person die at their hands and they don't want to do it themselves. So with that in mind, there's the deal. So what have we dealt with in chapter 20? We've dealt with the cities of refuge. That's the six cities for the people could flee there, maintained and overseen by the Levites. Are you with me so far? So what do you think the next chapter is going to be about? Remember the other thing that was due? Excellent. The 42 cities that were still required to be handed over for the Levites to live in. Does that make sense? And that's what we get. So in chapter 21, verse 1, it says, The head of the fathers' houses of the Levites came near to Eleazar the priest, to Joshua the son of Nun, and to the heads of the fathers' houses of the tribes of the children of Israel. And they spoke to them at Shiloh in the land of Canaan, saying, The Lord commanded through Moses to give us cities to dwell in with their common lands and for our livestock. So the children of Israel gave to the Levites from their inheritance at the commandment of the Lord these cities and their common lands. Now, <coughs> did you notice, by the way, that they had to go and ask for it? It wasn't like anybody was willing to start tossing in land to give to the Levites. Even though they were running the route of the priest, they still had to ask for the land for people to give it to them. Now, Bruno, if you would, please, would you go and flip that one that, one that showed the, uh, the family of the Levites? There you go. This is important just because this is the way the chapter breaks up. Levi, I remind you, the third son of Jacob or of Israel, had three sons. Gershon, Kohat, and Merari. Merari! Uh-huh. See? Now you remember those. Kohat is the family of the priests. The ones who actually do more than carry tent pegs and maintain and carry out ashes and stuff. They were the ones who did the priestly duties because that's where Moses' family was from. To this day, by the way, Kohat gets converted to Kohen. Have you ever heard that name? Like someone in their surname is Kohen? Kohen, if you will, is sort of the evolution of the name Kohat. Rani, who is our guide in Israel, his surname is Kohen. He can, according to the Temple Institute, claim a position as a priest because of his name. When the temple's built in Havre, that works and all that. So, <coughs> because there are these three sons, the land has to be divided up to the three sons that then the tribes will come from of Levi. Does that make sense? And again, their names are Gershon, Kohat, and Marari. Why is that important? Because that's what we're going to see in the chapter. So take a look at it with me now. It says, for instance, oh, by the way, it is important, a little side note, it is important to know that Gilgal now no longer is our place, right? I mean, we were at Gilgal, it was our place of consecration. But if we remember, we moved the capital now, if you will, to Shiloh. The tabernacle is set up in Shiloh, and it's more central now. It's easier accessible for everyone. It's in the center of the city. It's not on the coast. So, here we go. 
The lot came, verse 4. The lot came out for the families of the Kohathites and to the children of Aaron, the priest, who were the Levites. They had 13 cities by lot. They're all drawing straws, if you will, to see how many cities they got. From the tribe of Judah, from the tribe of Simeon, and from Benjamin. So, for the Kohathites, notice again, that's our middle tribe according to this little chart here. That, they, that, the, that Judah, Simeon, and Benjamin are the ones going to be tossing in cities for these guys to live in. The rest of the children of Kohath, well, they had ten cities by lot from the families of the tribe of Ephraim, from the, half, from the tribe of Dan and the half-tribe of Manasseh. The children of Gesham had thirteen cities by lot from the families of the tribe of Issachar, tribe of Asher, the tribe of Naphtali, from the half-tribe of, of Manasseh and Bashan, which tells me that now they, they actually get property on both sides of the Jordan. The children of Marari, according to their families, had twelve cities. The tribe of Reuben, Gad, and from the tribe of Zebulun, which, by the way, Reuben and Gad, I remind you, were also on the east side. So they actually get it from both sides as well. And the children of Israel gave these cities with their common lands by lot to the Levites, as the Lord had commanded by the hand of Moses. So if we did... (coughs) Excuse me. If we did our, our math... What we have is we have 13 cities by lot for the Kohathites there for the, for the Moses' family, 10 cities then for the rest of Kohath, 13 cities for Gershon, 12 cities then for Merari. And it says then the children of Israel gave these with their common lands by lot to the Levites as the Lord commanded by the hand of Moses. So they gave from the tribe of the children of Judah and from the tribes of the children of Simeon these cities which were designated by name which were for the children of Aaron, one of the families of the Kohathites, who were the children of Levi, whose lot was theirs first. And this was the land they gave them. Now what we have basically for the rest of the chapter, and I'll read it fairly quickly, are the list of all of those 42 cities. Now it's important to note that not a single one of them escapes God notice. Every person, every tribe, it doesn't matter how little you were as a tribe, it doesn't matter how big you were as a tribe, you were still responsible to make sure the Levites were taken care of. It's a lot harder to say at this stage in our fellowship, but when the stage is much bigger where all of a sudden we're like making sure Dan or Bruno or Hugo or whatever is being sponsored or whatever, at that point it's a lot easier to say, all y'all need to kick in. Now that's saying you don't kick in beyond your means, but everybody contributes. There's the point. It's just a little weirder to say right now. With that said, here we go. Take a look at the cities. So, <coughs> excuse me. And they gave verse 11. And they gave them Kiriath Arba. Uh, Arba was the father of Anach, which is Hebron, in the mountains of Judah, in the land, the common land surrounding it. But the city, the fields of the city, and its villages that they gave to Caleb, the son of Ephunah, as his possession. And thus to the children of Aaron, the children, the priests, they gave Hebron in its common land, the city of refuge. By the way, remind you, of the 48 cities, six of them are going to be cities of refuge. Libna, common land. Yatir, its common land. Eshtemoa, with its common land. Holan, its common land. Debir, in its common land. Ain, in its common land. Yuta, in its common land. Beshemesh, which means house of the sun, uh, with its common land. Nine cities, for those two tribes. From the tribe of Benjamin, Gibeon, its common land. Giba, in its common land. Anathot, its common land, which means, by the way, answers to prayer. It's a great name, isn't it? Anathot. Anyways. With its common land, Almon, for this common land, four cities. These were the cities uh, of the children of Aaron, the priests, 13 cities with their common land. And the families of the children of Kohath, the Levites, and the rest of the children of Kohath, even they and their cities and the lot of the tribe of Ephraim, they gave them Shechem. I'll remind you that Shechem again. With its common land, 
in the mountains of Ephraim, the city of refuge for the slayer. Gezer, with its common land. Kibzaim, with its common land. Beth Horan, its common land. That's four cities. And Daniel, from the tribe of Dan. Elkanah, which means let God spew you out. That'd be an easy city to give away, in my opinion, with its common land. Gibaton, with its common land. Ayalon, and its common land. Remember, that's where the sun stood still when Joshua was fighting for it. And Gatunamon, which means the pomegranate wine press, with its common land. Four cities. And the half tribe of Manasseh, Tanakh, its common land. Gatunamon, uh, with its common land. Two cities. All the ten cities were the common lands and the rest of their families are the children of Kohat. Also, to the children of Dershom, now we're going to the second family. This family of the Levites. It says, from the half-tribe of Manasseh, they gave Golan. In Bashan, it was common land. Did you notice they always seem to be mentioning the city of refuge first? The city of refuge of the slayer. And Bi'eshtera was common land, two cities. Miskar, Kishon, by the way, means hard. That's, you can have the hard ground with the common land. Debarat, which means word, different from Deborah, of course, which means be. That's common land. Yarmut was common land in Enganim, and it's common land, four cities. The tribe of Asher, Mishal, with its common land. Abdon, with its common land. Helkat, uh, which means smooth, by the way, with its common land. And Rechav, with its common land, four cities. The tribe of Rechav, I'm sorry, from the tribe of Nathali, Kadesh, in Galilee, with its common land, city of refuge for the slayer. Hamadur, generation, hot springs, it means, with its common land. Kartan, with its common land, three cities. All the cities of Gershon, according to the families, are 13 cities with their common land. We're almost done with this part. And the, the families of the children of Marari, now we're to the third of the three, the rest of the Levites. Uh, it says, the tribe of Zebulun, Yaknam, the people lament with its common land. Karta, with its common land. Dimna, which means dunghill. Yeah, you can have that with its common land. And Nahalal, which means pasture with its common land. Did you notice in that... We didn't see a city of refuge yet. We will, but not yet. And the tribe of Reuben, Bezer, with its common land. Yachaz, which means trodden down, with its common land. Kedemot, which means, if you will, eastern, with its common land. And Mipat, <laughs> try to say that one often. Mipat, which means splendorous, with its common ground, four cities. The tribe of Gad, Ramot, in Gilead, its common land. Now there's your city of refuge for the slayer. Machanaim. What's coming ground? Heshbon, what's coming land? Chetzer, uh, what's coming ground? Four cities in all. So the children, uh, the cities of the children of Merari, according to their families, the rest of the families of the Levites were by lot then 12 cities. If we did the math, how many would we expect to find? 48. That's our 42 plus the six cities of refuge. And that's what it says. All the cities of the Levites within the possession of the children of Israel were 48 cities with their common lands. Every one of these cities had a common land surrounding it, and thus were all the cities. So the Lord gave to Israel all the land in which he had sworn to give to their fathers, and the possessed, they took possession of it and dwelt in it. The Lord gave them rest all around according to all that he had sworn to their fathers. Not a man of all their enemies stood against them. The Lord delivered all their enemies into their hand. Not a word failed of any good thing which the Lord had spoken to the house of Israel. It all came to pass. And let me remind you, not a good thing that God has spoken to you will not come to pass. If God says it, it's going to happen. And what we are constantly, this is one of the reasons why faith comes by hearing and not the word of God. One of the things we're constantly reminded in scripture is how God makes a promise, if you will, or a covenant, and how he makes it come to pass. 
as I continue to read, I'm like, wow, it was pretty rough. But in the end, it always is that God always pulls through. God always, his yes is always yes. And everything in God is always yes and in him, amen. We could expect God to get it done. So in our second chapter here of the three, what we realize again is that the Levites show up and go, hey, what about our land? Aren't you guys supposed to be giving that to us? And they're like, oh, yeah. So they drew lots and they got their land just as promised. So that takes us to the last chapter. And in our last chapter now, what we see is, is that now it's time for those two and a half tribes to go back to their land on the east side. Here's the problem. I remind you, this was not God's best. We talk about God's perfect will. And the problem is we often play that out as, is if God has this special secret idea, today you wear the red shirt, today you wear the brown socks or whatever, and if you don't do exactly as God is intended for you to figure out, you're in trouble. And we're like, oh, I'm not in God's perfect will because I wore sandals. Unfortunately, we play that in such a way we don't even focus on what really is important to God. And I remind you, will is from pleasure, the word phileho in Greek. The idea of it is, is that we want to live in God's perfect pleasure. And there are times where we know if I did this, it would full on please him. If I did this, it would sort of please him. And the idea of walking in God's perfect will or his will to the proper end would be that I want everything I do. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be fully and 100% pleasing unto you. So that means every relationship I have, every word that I say, every ambition that I have, everything I set my hands and heart to, let those be things that please you. So what happens when you decide to live a little away from what you know is God's best? Well, that's really what we get in this chapter. The first thing is that there will always be intrigue and suspicion. The fringe will always be a subject of suspicion because if they were full on, if they were not to be suspect, then why aren't they in with the rest of the crew? And that becomes our problem. So it's going to start with Joshua warning them. And then they're going to do something that's going to make, that's basically going to create or could have created a civil war, which is interesting. So in our three chapters, we started with dealing with the Avengers and we ended with a civil war. Is that not perfect timing? With that said, chapter 22, verse 1. Joshua called the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. And he said to them, You have kept all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, and have obeyed my voice in all that I commanded you. You have not left your brethren in these many days up to this day, but you have kept the charge of the commandment of the Lord your God. And now the Lord your God has given rest to your brothers, and he has promised, as he has promised them, Now therefore return and go to your tents, to the land of your possession, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you on the other side of the Jordan. It is important to recognize, again, the idea was is that they wanted that land because they were shepherds. They saw it as green. But Moses called their bluff and said, if that's going to be the case, you're going to have to fight the war with us. And when we're done, you can go back. Now they fought the war. And it's been seven to ten years. Now you can go back because the war is basically done. So because of that, here's the problem. They're able to go back. But here's the problem. And please hear me. When you move to the fringe, you have to leave all of this stuff behind. It's going to be memories. They're just not, and hear me, they're not attached to life now. So think about what they have to walk through. The two and a half tribes are going to walk from where they are in Shiloh, and they're going to have to start heading back to the Jordan River. 
That means they're going to pass by Ai. They're going to pass by Jericho. They're going to pass by all of these areas. And I realize it's like they see the cities in ruin, the ashes of Ai, the rubble of Jericho's wall. Remember how that seemed impossible? How are we going to get over this? And now it's laying in, in rubble. All of the valleys of fallen giants. All of those victories of those places we've seen, I leave behind as a memory. It's just not going to be attached to where I live now. Because I'm leaving it behind to live on the fringe. Then I go by Gilgal. And as we go to Gilgal, remember this was the place where all the guys were consecrated? And this is kind of like where you have that piano, backstory, reminiscent music in the background. And we're seeing the kind of backflashes. And here we are, and it's like, remember when all the guys were circumcised? Remember when we said, God, I belong to you? Remember when this was like, all right, God, this is impossible. You're going to have to fight the battle. There's no way this is going to happen without you. We are, we're, we're, we're helpless without you, but we're crying out to you, and God says, set yourself apart. I'm going to do this amazing work. Remember before all of these battles, when all it was was just us and God, and we were freaked out, but we were trusting. Do you remember how God met us there when we met the commander of the Lord there and he led us into victory? Do you remember that? Well, that's going to be a memory, but it's not going to be attached to where you live now. And then we go to the Jordan. And what do we see at the Jordan? We see the place where where it parted and we walked on dry ground. Remember that? And remember, there's rocks, piles everywhere. Rock piles of kings that hid because they were... Gathering up as an army, rock piles of Achan. Do you remember that? Of Achan and how what happened when he took a little to himself that wasn't his. And how we, go, we the only time where we really saw that kind of defeat. Do you remember that? And the pile of rocks then in Gilgal where it was set up. Because remember how we got these from the river? Because God stopped the river so we could get them. But now as we're going to cross the Jordan, we're not going to cross the Jordan the same way. We have to walk through the water. It's not overflowing its banks like it was before. But now we're going to have to get our feet wet. And we're going to go, remember when this was stopped at Adam beside Zarathon? Remember when God stopped this? Remember that? Well, now it's a memory, but it's not attached. All of these miracles, all of these victories, all of these great things, that's as if we watched a movie. We have the memories on our head like we could play the scene. They're just not attached to our life like they should be now. And that becomes our problem. So what do we do? We have to build something to make a counterfeit, a lookalike. This is the problem of life on the fringe. As we do alter-ish stuff, but with a replica. We have to replace the genuine with a lookalike. So now it's sort of like, you know, in the real, in the inside, in the center of it all, you're walking around with a diamond ring, but now you've kind of walked away, and now you're on the fringe holding up a Swarovski crystal, hoping that's good enough. That's not the same thing. And there's our problem. So Joshua's turning to these people who are going to walk away now and walk over to the other side. And he says, listen, verse 5, take heed to the commandment of the law, the law of which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you to love the Lord your God, walk in all his ways, keep his commandments, hold fast to him and serve him with all of your heart and all of your soul. Joshua blessed them and he sent them away. He says, listen, you guys, I have to warn you one more time. Keep the command. Don't become un-Jewish by walking away. Keep connected to the living God. And by the way, notice it started with love. Did you notice that? To love and it ended with serve. So, 
Joshua blessed them, sent them away, away to their tents. Verse 7. Now the half-tribe of Manasseh, Moses had given the possession of Bashan. And by the way, can you see where Manasseh is up there? Bashan is our northern area. You can see that. Thanks for having these ready, by the way. It really helps. It says, <coughs> excuse me. But to the other half of Joshua gave the possession among the brothers on this side of the Jordan, which tells you the writer's writing, of course, on the western side, westward. And indeed, then Joshua sent them away to their tents and he blessed them. And he spoke to them, saying, Return with much riches to your tents, very much livestock, silver or gold, with bronze and iron, and very much clothing. Divide the spoil of your enemies with your brothers. So the children of Reuben and Gad, the half-tribe of Manasseh, returned and departed from the children of Israel at Shiloh, which is in the land of Canaan, to go to the country of Gilead, to the land of their, of their possession, which they had obtained according to the word of the Lord by the hand of Moses. And when they came to the region of the Jordan, which is at the land of Canaan, the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh built an altar there by the Jordan. A great, impressive altar. Now the children of Israel, when they heard someone say, and there's always someone that's going to say something, Behold, the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh have built an altar on the frontier of the land of Canaan in the region of the Jordan on the children of Israel's side, on our side. When the children of Israel heard this, the whole congregation of the children of Israel gathered together at Shiloh to go to war against them. They built an altar and already, God had already said, look it, if somebody builds an altar, this is Deuteronomy 13, to another God, you kill him. God's like, that's how important it is to not have people in your life with that kind of influence that will lead you away from me. So, already there's suspicion and intrigue. By the way, did you notice there was truth in the details, but not truth in the intent? That's usually the way it works. We call that spinning. You spin this to your own way. So you'll say, well, this is what they said. And then you spin it of how they said it. This is the text, but I can guarantee you this is the way they were saying it. This is what happened. Now let me spin it so you can see. And somebody has spun it. Here's the most amazing thing. Someone, although it's in italics, there was talk. It started by someone and it got around. And it wasn't just there was an altar built. That's clear. But why did they build that altar? And we're going to find it's very different from the real reason they built it. But what happened is, as a result of that, they, they spun it in a way. Did you notice that that lie took the over the whole nation? One lie, started by someone, caused everybody to bail and ready to kill these people. A civil war could have happened, not because it's like, yeah, but they had a detail, right? There was an altar built. The question wasn't that. It was the heart. Not the how, but the heart is where you spin it. Why did they do it? And for what purpose? It's in spinning that that you can take a whole thing. And what is a civil war? That's when a nation is turned against itself. You've divided the nation. And we know a nation or a house divided against itself can't stand. Here's the good news. Is that if they had to send a couple young guys, they could have sent some mercenaries and just started killing them, but they didn't. They sent someone mature to go find out the deal. And they went to the source. So the children of Israel sent Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the priest. He's the high priest. I remind you. So what we have then is the son of the priest. 
of the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. They sent them then, of course, over to find out what's up into the land. And with them came ten rulers, one from each of the chief houses of every tribe of Israel. Remember, there's only ten now on the left-hand side, the ten and a half. Each one was the head of his father, the house of his father among the divisions of Israel. They came to the children of Reuben, to the children of Gad, and to the half-tribe of Manasseh in the land of Gilead. And they spoke to them and they said, Thus says the whole congregation. And you know how that's how it works. The moment someone's going to talk to you, you're like, everybody is saying this. Now, it may not be everybody, but you know that's what it's going to be. As you always, you never, and everybody is talking. You know, you know you're in trouble the moment someone says, we've been talking and this is what we've come up with. And you're like, okay. You've been talking, but have you been dealing with the truth? Of not just the what, but the heart. So, <coughs> Thus says the whole congregation of the Lord. What treachery is this that you've committed against the God of Israel to turn away this day from following the Lord and that you've built for yourselves an altar that you might rebel this day against the Lord? Now, mature people are asking, and notice, by the way, they are assuming it's true. They're assuming the lie is true. They are assuming that they've built this as an act of treachery against God because they didn't even have time to think about what could really be the truth, because they'd already been given it from the moment it was spun. So, as it is the case, let me remind you, James 3.18 says that the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So, as righteousness is a tree of life, and he who wins souls is wise, Proverbs 11.30, now they deal with it. So they're coming, they're going, hey, what's this deal? How are you guys doing this treason against God? You just left! How long do you have to be before you... It's like you just left and already you're bailing on God by building this altar? And then he said in verse 17, Isn't the iniquity of Peor not not enough for us, in which we were not cleansed until this day, although there was a plague in the congregation of the Lord? That's the story of Balaam, of Balaam, from Numbers 25. But that you turn away from following the Lord, and it shall be, if you rebel against the Lord, that... Tomorrow he'll be angry with the whole congregation of Israel. Notice, by the way, their concern isn't just for them. They're like, God's going to punish us all if you guys do this. And it says, you know, and it says, nevertheless, if the land of your possession is unclean, well, then cross over to the land of the possession of the Lord. Notice, by the way, what they call the possession of the Lord west of the Jordan, where the Lord's tabernacle stands. And take possession among us. Don't rebel against the Lord or rebel against us by building yourself an altar besides the altar of the Lord your God. Did not Achan or Achan, the son of Zerah, commit a trespass and the cursed thing in which he fell on the congregation, which fell on all of the congregation of Israel? And that man did not perish alone in his iniquity. That's Joshua, by the way. We remember that from Joshua 7 1. He says, hey, let me remind you, your sin doesn't just affect you. It hurts everyone around you. There's your problem. And he goes, didn't you see in both of these cases, somebody sinned, but his sin was so far reaching, lots of other people were wiped out as a result of it. Why are you doing this? Verse 21, the children of Rube, Chil- Rube, <laughs> the, you know, the nickname, the children of Reuben, the children of Gad and the half tribe of Manasseh, they answered and said to the heads of the division of Israel, the Lord God of gods, the Lord God of gods, he knows and let Israel itself know if it is rebellion or if in treachery against the Lord, don't save us this day. If we've built ourselves an altar from turning away from the Lord or say uh, to turn from following the Lord or on it to offer burnt offerings or grain offerings 
Or if our offering, peace offerings on it, well then let the Lord himself require an account. But in fact, we have done this for fear. Don't miss that. We're not doing this. This is not a substitute. And I remind you, when God set the altar in place in the tabernacle, he said, there's no altar that's to be built beside this. Just this one. There's only one way to approach me, and it's through blood. It's through the sacrifice of the innocent, through an innocent sacrifice, because there's only one way to the Father, and that's Jesus Christ. And he's setting us up for that. So you don't set up a second altar. There's no Jesus plus the same way that there's no altar plus. So they're going, we already know the standard. You've set up the plus. <coughs> and they're like, no, 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 no. This was not to do this as a substitute altar for giving our sacrifices. This we did because we were afraid. So the question is, what were they afraid of? Well, look at what it says. And we're almost done now. It says, <clears throat> verse 24, But in fact, we've done this for fear, for a reason saying, In time to come, your descendants may speak to our descendants, saying, What have you to do with the Lord God of Israel? For the Lord, made it, Lord has made the Jordan a border between you and us. You children of Reuben, you dad, and you have no part in the Lord, so your descendants will make our descendants cease fearing the Lord. So they're saying, well, this is our concern, is that someday we're going to wake up, our kids are going to wake up, and they're going to look at your kids, and your kids are going to say, you're not Jewish, you're not part of us. The river clearly separates us. You are not part of Israel. And he goes, this was supposed to be a monument to show you that we still belong to you. Here's the problem. When you go out to the fringe, you spend all of your time trying to convince people in the church that you're actually still part of it. But the problem is, you're far enough away that you have to do that instead of just being a part of it. But did you notice that the nation of Israel, what they said was, hey, if, if you really want, why don't you just come and stay with us after all? They invited them back in. Now that they've won all of the battles, you'd have thought you'd have want to go and, hey, we'll give up some of our ground for you. You can have some of ours. And they're like, nope, this is what we're going to do. Therefore, verse 26, let, a per let us now prepare to build ourselves an altar, not for burnt offering nor for sacrifice, but that it be a witness between you and us and our generation after us, that we may perform the service of the Lord before him with our burnt offerings and our sacrifices and with our peace offerings, that the descendants may not say to our descendants in the time to come, you have no part in the Lord. Therefore, we said that it will be, when they say this to our, notice they say when, they say this to us or to our generations in time to come, that we may say, here's a replica of the altar of the Lord, which our fathers made, not for burnt offerings or for sacrifices, but it's a witness between us and you, you and us. Far be it from us that we should rebel against the Lord and turn from following the Lord this day to build an altar for burnt offerings, grain offerings, and for sacrifices besides the altar of the Lord, which God, see, which the Lord our God, uh, which is before his tabernacle. So what is this? This is another memorial. Well, when Phinehas the priest and the rulers of the congregation, the heads of the, all the divisions of Israel who were with him, heard the words that the children of Reuben, children of God, and children of Manasseh spoke, it pleased them. Then Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the priest, said to the children of Reuben, children of Gad, and children of Manasseh, this day we perceive that the Lord is among us because you've not committed this treachery against the Lord. Now, you have delivered the children of Israel out of the hand of the Lord. Phinehas, the son of Eleazar the priest, and the rulers continued or returned from the children of Reuben and children of Gad in the land of 
Gilead, in the land of Canaan, to the children of Israel and brought back word to them. So this thing pleased the children of Israel. And the children of Israel blessed God. And they spoke no more of going to them, going against them in battle to destroy the land where the children of Reuben and Gad dwelt. And the children of Reuben and the children of Gad called the altar witness. For it is a witness between us that the Lord is God. The Hebrew word for witness is the word ed. And therefore, they called the altar ed. Because ed means witness. As an ed. Well, if you will. Or ayin talit. But yes. Here's how it ends. Now the three, the two and a half tribes are being sent back. As they're being sent back, that immediately they're already concerned about the fact that because they're far enough away, other people are going to say, you're really not part of us. So they have to do something to try to make themselves a part of it. And so what they do is they put up a replica. I wonder if this was the birth of the synagogue. Because in every synagogue, there is a replica of the altar, if you will. And they call it an altar in the middle. And that the idea of it is, this is a replica so that we could say we're still attached to the temple. That's just to consider. But it would make sense to me. Nonetheless, there were those on the fringe, and as you might guess, they'll be the first to fall. It'll always be the first to fall. Those that are closest to the enemy, farthest from the center of fellowship. Psalm 92.13 says, He was planted in the house of the Lord, will flourish in the courts of our God. The hard part is that we can find ourselves drifting, and as we drift, we don't even realize how far we get. Because what we do is we replace the genuine with a replica, so we still think we're close. And then one day we wake up and realize that there's a river running between us. And that God never intended. And this is what I want to pray for us, that we would be drift-free, that we would never replace. And it's so easy to do, you guys, you know that. All we have to do is we can take something we can take something that's just Jesus and make it something Christian in its place. So we take fellowship with Jesus and we just turn it into hanging out with a bunch of Christians. Or we take reading the word to actually learn of Jesus and to get his this heart and his will, and now we get now we're reading the Bible for knowledge. It's still Christian ish, but it's not Jesus at the center. And we're praying, but now we're praying for stuff. Instead of just saying, Lord, here I am, your will be done. And we start going, you know, I recognize I'm giving my heart in a handful of places that are, it's not like I'm giving them through Jesus. I'm giving some to Jesus still and I'm giving some over here versus I give everything to Jesus and it starts getting dispersed into these other things. I am not handing everything over. And when that happens, I find myself on the other side of the river with a duplicate. And then you wake up one day and go, how in the world do I, am I so cold for Christ? She's like, because you really haven't been with me for quite a while. You've been serving. You've been doing stuff. But you haven't been serving me. You've been making people happy. And now you wake up and you're like, where are you, Lord? And he's like, I'm on the other side of the river. There's a living water that you need to get through again to get back to where you need to be with me. And he, you know, every one of us can do it. The ministry can do that to you if you're not careful. The bottom line is, until you put Jesus at the center, how do you expect it to flourish anyway? And that's what I want to pray for us. The one who died for us on the cross with us on our mind, on his mind. Who rose again from the grave with us on his mind. 
so that we could be with him. Didn't recruit us for service or for worship, but he called us to a relationship. Everything else becomes a product of that. Well, pray with me, if you would, please. Lord, I thank you for these three beautiful chapters. I thank you, Lord, for the fact that there is a place we can run, even in our guilt, where we can find in you peace and safety. Thank you for being our high priest who died and lives forevermore. That we could always go anywhere still surrounded by your refuge and safety. As long as we follow you, Lord, we're safe. And no one is able to snatch us out of your hand. But I recognize as well, as you continue to grow this ministry, Lord, that you will be calling people to ministry and raising them up. And I pray you would raise up an army of givers that every from every tribe, from every spiritual gift, from every walk of life, however you want to put that, Lord, in the end of it all, that you would make sure that the, every Levite was cared for. And in that, Lord, I pray that you would keep us from drifting, finding ourselves on the other side of the river, inching there moment by moment, walking past all of these victories and remembering them, but not, a, not attaching them to our present life. So we could tell other people how faithful and almighty you are and yet still not have the confidence that that applies to us. Even though the stories we may tell have been stories in our own life. So Lord, I pray as I think about the fact that Reuben and Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh when crossing the river, they couldn't go back to the things that were there when they were there last time, which is the manna and the pillar, the water from a rock, They couldn't go back to those things. Those things were for a season. And they couldn't go back to the manna. They couldn't go back to the pillar. They've got a whole new walk with you. And thank you, Lord, that you never call us to walk backwards unless you call us to repent because we've walked away from you. And in which case you call us to return. But otherwise, we're always to walk. And thank you that ministry doesn't have a reverse. Continue to lead us forward, I pray. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for us. Single focus to redeem us and raising again to give us life. In Jesus, in your name. Amen.